Welcome to the Scaling Japan podcast, a podcast about how to grow your business from $100,000 and beyond, and beyond in the land of the rising sun. Welcome to the Scaling Japan podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Batino. And on today's episode, we have Mari Ono for the second time. So we did not have enough time to cover sales framework the first time because we dove really, really deep into the two types of sales, account versus root sales on episode one together. So now let's dive into frameworks. Mari is an experienced consultant in digital transformation in the manufacturing industry. As a consultant, she has more than 15 years of experience working with multiple stakeholders from the very beginning of the sales cycle to the end and then actually delivering the service once the deal is delivered. And Mari has worked for some very, very, very famous corporations in Japan, and you're in for a second treat. Mari, it's good to have you on the podcast again. Thank you very much for having me. So yeah, I guess before we dive into sales frameworks, because I think there's probably about a three-week gap, but could you give a recap on account versus root sales again? Sure. So last time, I think we got into a little bit more extensive details, but basically route sales is where you have an out-of-box sales solution or an offering that you want to sell. And it's just about approaching the right person or the right organization to make the sale. And account sales, on the other hand, is where you have a rough offering or the service that you want to sell, but then you would cater or make it a bespoke project to the client. So it would be really different from route sales would you would discuss and make sure the potential client or customer really can customize the product or the solution or the service. So these are a couple of differences about like that I can share about like the route sales and account sales. So just to confirm in account sales, you have kind of like a rough service and also with the potential client, you really have to kind of talk with them a lot, really figure out what they need yeah. and was it involves a lot of customization. Yes, exactly. And route would be really cookie cutter. You have something that's already made and you're just looking for someone to buy what's already made in general. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you for that. And now that we've covered account versus root sales and what it entails, I'm eager to dive into frameworks for sales. And what are some common problems in organizations that happen when you don't have a solid framework to guide sales? I think it's not that the framework is good or bad, but I think it is really important to have a framework because it would give you to have a guideline on what you're trying to do. And it would also have more clarity on the communication that you're doing with the team members or with individuals. So I don't think that it's good or bad. And obviously, a lot of people talk about hybrid these days. So you can obviously have a hybrid model. But then you can really set the expectations correctly so that if some person is doing complete route sales, always going on through the list from the top to bottom, for example, making cold calls on the phone and trying to get a sales, that person, obviously, it would be about the numbers of calls that they're making, how many appointments that they get, 
On the other hand, if you have another person who's trying to do account sales, it might be a struggle because the other person is not going to be compared on how many calls that they do or how many appointments that they make, because it's also about more about the detail about the conversation that they're making with the client, how much customization, how far are they getting? Is the client going to fund the budget? How much more detail do you know about the client so that they can really customize and make sure that they can finalize the sale? So in that way, I think it's really important that you really set the expectations and also regarding the communication with the team. And also, I think that regarding using frameworks, make sure you analyze the issues when you're going about the topic and don't be afraid to throw the framework away if it's not working. Route sales and account sales, as much as we've been talking about it from last time, is just only one framework. And if you find the need to switch on to another, if you read a book and see like, oh, there's another way to frame the sales um, activities or any kind of business that you're doing, then definitely try another because if it's not working for your team and if the only thing that you're feeling is frustration, it's definitely time that you want to switch. So that's a couple of things that I can say about the framework discussions. Yeah, and I remember you're telling me that even in corporation, sometimes that they would actually be doing a hybrid or let's say hybrid meeting, uh, they might actually be using both models, right? Yeah. Could you actually explain how they would be using a hybrid model? Sure. Typically, you would have a list of clients or industries that you want to go after. And for the more important clients, you would approach it as an account-based because you would want to spend more time with them and make sure you have a recurring business with them. For example, also, if you want to uh, put your name in that specific industry, then you would want to make long-term relationships so that you can say like, oh, can I put this as, for example, a reference or can I put this on my website, for example, as a voice of customer? So in that case, you would have specific teams or people that you want to make sure that they focus on specific accounts and therefore account-based sales. But then on the other hand, for example, if you have a long list of clients and you have a hundred and for the top 10 accounts, you want to make sure that you have specific people who focus on them. So 90 of the names on the list would fall into typically the route sales. So then you would have people who would handle like 30, 40 accounts, which is unthinkable regarding who do account-based sales. And you would have the route sales people constantly calling them, but not necessarily being so attached to them say like, okay, you're handling 30, 40 accounts. It doesn't really have to be a weekly touch point. You can make sure you just email them maybe once in two weeks so that you keep in touch with them, but just make sure that they would contact the salesperson when they have that specific issue. When, for example, a OneCoin English is a specific need in their situation, then they would make sure that they would call Tyson's salesperson. They would make sure that they have contact with the route salesperson, but the route salesperson doesn't really have to constantly, constantly sell or ask how things are or they, whether they have budget, etc. So that's typically the way that companies would combine these two. But again, this is just only one method. I know that other companies have combination in other ways as well. Uh, that makes perfect sense. For account-based sales, you could use that to maybe launch, get a client like Hitachi or maybe the city of Tokyo. You put that wow. logo on your website. 
And yeah. the smaller business or medium-sized businesses, they look at it and they're like, wow. And you know, in Japan, it's all about FOMO. So if they don't <laughs> want to lose out to the competitors. So all these people are using it. We need to jump on the ship too. Exactly. And I think it would also make sense, again, it's about communication within your team. Because for example, if you really are close to get Hitachi, and if Kitachi says like, okay, slightly different ask, you say one coin, but what if you have like 20 people and can you make it two coins or like in a different ask, then you would say maybe yes to that counter proposal from what you normally do. But then the way that you would explain it to the team is again, this is a very important client. And you want to make sure that account shows up on a future, uh, your client list or on your website. So therefore, you made a special discount or you made a special bespoke way of selling something. Yeah, that's special. And that's not an everyday thing that everybody wants to do or everybody can do or everybody needs to do. And that would, I think, clear a little bit about the pressure or the thought process of some of the salespeople. So I think, like you said, um, make sure that the communication is also clear outside, but then also inside. Yeah, I think two points from my end. I think the first one was getting the team aware that like right now we're doing this customized offer for them, but this is just in this one location, this uh, Tokyo office. If it's a success, Hitachi might let us launch in all of their branches nationwide. So this could be a really, really big deal in the future. And the second one was uh, back to frameworks. So I guess in my experience, because I worked more in the, we used to call ourselves like the LCC of uh, English lessons, like, you know, the low cost carrier, <laughs> because you get a good enough product for a great price. A lot of cases, like uh, we hired a lot of junior employees. When you have a lot of junior level employees, like, you know, they're becoming a manager for the first time. They become a trainer for the first time. If you don't have a framework, you're relying on them learning purely through trial and error. And by introducing a framework, you eliminate probably about 50 to 70% of the trial and errors. You don't want junior staff or people who are changing departments doing something for the first time to learn through trial and error because you don't have time for that when you're scaling or you have a revenue targets. So that's why I'm really, really big on frameworks. I like having the right framework and then finding the right people to plug into the frameworks as opposed to like trying to find this one superhero who's let's say they're going to work 60, 70 hours a week. They're going to figure out everything at a really fast pace, which is not a scalable strategy. So oftentimes it's best to have the framework to let down the groundwork. Then everyone uh, uses that as a basis for taking action in training, sales, recruitment. I like to call myself the framework guy because I've spent too many years watching people learn through trial and error. It's like, no, <laughs> I just want you to start at 50% already. I don't have time. As you kind of climb the ladder, it's, or at least at one point, I think I was like five layers above. You don't want to continuously train people to reach level two when you're at level five. Like you really got to focus on the big picture stuff. That's why when Murray told me like she had a good framework for herself, I was like, oh, I got to get her on the podcast. Yes. Because uh, we have a lot of good information on culture. We have a lot of good information from the other guests on what to do in certain situations. But this episode is frameworks. I'm so glad that you also brought up that topic because I recall talking with one of the executive of a really high brand, a national brand, and he was mentioning how he wanted to make clones of himself. 
And in this world of people talking about diversity and different points of view and everything like that, you can never make a clone out of just trial and error. And you can never, ever make a clone basically from yourself, even if it's your child. It's very different people, different ideas, different experiences. And again, what's the worth of actually making a clone that would only make yourself invaluable? So in that case, like you said, bringing in different frameworks and then being able to work in a team following certain frameworks, but then whatever the person brings in additional would grow definitely. So I think I really appreciate that you appreciate frameworks. (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, the frameworks get you to 50, 70%. But oftentimes the people on the ground who are doing the work, they will bring you the information and knowledge you need to either take that framework to 90% or in some cases, scrap it and uh, make a new framework to adjust to the new situation. Going back to uh, frameworks, I actually want to ask you, could you explain more about the framework for root sales? So with root sales, again, you would have a long list of clients that you want to go after. And it's typically also a short cycled sales. So it's also important that you try to understand the tendencies of the industry. So for example, if you're working with an English class or English uh, education work, then obviously gaishke or people who have a trend to interact with foreign people or interact in English would have a more high chance to buy your product. So you would probably try to list up a little bit of clients who are in the reach and normally you would segment them as a higher target or as something that you would expect more results. And then you would go down the list and say like, okay, maybe these 50 clients are maybe they have overseas offices, but maybe in the overseas office, they only use English in the headquarters. They may or may not use English. So it might be a tougher sale. And then you might have domestic clients saying, oh, these would be clients that if they bite, it would be fantastic, but no pressure. Um, Just wanting to make sure that we cover the ground, we have our name out there. Route sales, um, you would have a really long list, but then it's important that you have a really solid elevator pitch. Again, you know the industry, you know how to sell it, but it doesn't go further than that. And um, again, sometimes you would adjust the way that you would call up the client. For example, saying like, oh, we have a special offer for this summer. We would have a special package. Winter, you would have a, another special way of doing things more, much more focused on, for example, seasonal greetings, but then might be seasonal discussions or a campaign that you want to involve. But again, route sales is always making sure you get that pitch really short and concise and if the client wants that product and buys that product on the spot without customization, then you pretty much have it all nailed down. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Japan. In addition to serving as your fine host, I also provide advisory and coaching services to business owners who want to 2x, 5x, and even 10x their business. So stop holding your company and your team and your employees back And let me help you and your company scale. Find more information at scalingyourcompany.com. Now back to the episode. I know in your case, because you've worked with a lot of big corporations, it's sometimes hard to give practical examples. So I guess I'll give the general view, then I'll give a practical example. So I think 
what I'm getting is so for root sales, the starting point is like really, really understanding who is your target demographic, really understanding. And that means you understand their problem and you understand how your service solves that problem. Then based on that, you'll make kind of a calling script. You'll call people, you'll ask them kind of questions just to kind of get some details. But because you already know how your solution solves their problem, you can kind of address that and the counterpoints. And because you're also targeting similar audience, you know how to respond to their common counters. Is that correct? Exactly. And the example I wanted to give was, so right now for my advisory coaching service for entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. I have about 23 clients and 10 of my clients, they're in the language industry. Uh, okay. The other 13 are in like seven different industries, nothing interrelated. The strategy I had was my target audience was language school owners. So for my first 10 clients, it was getting 10 language school owners in Japan. Marketing is usually their biggest pain point. What I should have done, which I should have done, which I didn't do because I was so successful that I didn't do enough market research. But I just called people, tell them I can help you with marketing. I did it in Tokyo. I can do it for you. So give me a shot. Uh, how I should have done it with a proper route sales method is I should have looked at their website. I should have analyzed their SEO and like, let's say Google map search and say, you're ranked eight, you're ranked 10 for this. I can probably get you ranked two in about three months. I can probably get you Google ranked four, maybe in about uh, four to six months. Do you want me to help you? And that would have been a really solid route sales. I was pretty successful because I have my accolades, but I would have been much more successful if I really pinpointed on their pain point and how my service solves it. Fantastic. That's actually a really great way actually to also see how your brain works for me, because that's also entering, I think that again, the hybrid model. You were really successful in a way where you're doing route sales because you were calling them up, making sure that they know what you can do with them. And then again, being really concise in what you can provide as a service. So when you're also trying to ask your team members to do the same thing, that would be, again, a really successful route sales activity. And what you're trying to do additionally is that getting a little bit more insight about the client and then having a higher rate of not just calling up somebody and asking them if they want some help. And also this goes a little bit more about my industry. What's happening is because everybody's trying to incorporate AI and all these cool tech into daily lives or our business. And that would actually become a really th good, nice thing because my assumption is that probably soon we would have a software or a website where you could analyze a little bit more about how their website is performing right now already. So whether to use that subscription service or even for you to set up some of your internal processes so you can hand over almost a manual to one of your sales team members saying like, okay, this is how you look up some of the analytics. And these are some of the things that you want to look at and numbers. So these are some of the numbers that you want to make sure that you hit the client correctly. So they would say like, oh, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Or this lady really knows a lot of data about ourselves already. So that they would either feel full uh, or really gotcha. go into the details. Yeah. So again, cool. I feel like you're really doing something really nice. No, that's really cool how you phrased it that way. So you could potentially even have like junior level staff and but because you've uh, highlighted the key points, you could tell them the 20% they need to know that has 80% of impact. 
Exactly. Account sales is where you would really need a dedicated person or somebody who has a lot of experience in the industry because the client has different opinions about, for example, what they want to do with their website. And for example, so route sales, if they don't respond to the numbers, if they don't respond to our analytics or what we can do as a service to them, they would walk away and we would walk away from the client. And everybody's fine. It's not that we want to chase the client or, you know, it's not that we're going to yell at the client saying like, oh, how dare you don't understand how better we can make your website. On account sales, it's a little bit different. You do become a little bit more attached to the client. You try to understand what their strategy is. We try to understand how and where they are at for example, with their website. So you would hopefully have somebody who knows a little bit about the history about maybe the client, or at least be able to talk about the history of the client and really understand, okay, how have they evolved their website? Where are they really spending money? A lot of the companies right now are investing and in creating their own sustainability web page so that they can have flashy information about how they're approaching or engaged in SDGs and having all the color-coded information. And maybe that's the route that they want to spend money on and in their website at this moment. So then the account sales would probably take a look at where they're going at saying like, oh, okay, it's a great thing that you're having a new web page regarding sustainability. Maybe the next part is to create additional website about diversity and inclusion. Okay. And I can help you with that. But whether the client's next step is diversity and inclusion is, again, whether they already have a website. And then also if that's the direction that the client wants to go. And that, again, takes more involved investigation, discussion, and it would not be something that you can hand over a manual and say like, okay, this is how to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gotcha. That's why the deep expertise in that industry is required. Exactly. But typically, like you can imagine, if you go that deep, if you really hit the nail on the head and have a specific discussion with the client, the sales that you would get from the client would become more either longer or the size of the deal maybe a little bit more larger compared to route sales. So it's difficult to compare or even sometimes when I see in account sales is that the more you do it because you have that long relationship. Even though the client says like, oh, for procurement reasons, we need to have an open bid, they would treat you in a different way. They would prefer you and they would sometimes even give you snippets of keywords to put into your proposal or hint you a certain number so that you would make sure that you're within budget or is something like a different treatment. So in a way, I always say like, it does make sense to invest in account sales. It's just that you have to have a different mindset of doing it because it's just, you know, a different way from route sales. Yeah, just the sales cycle is much longer. There's a lot more complexity. And I think you mentioned the interesting point that in some cases they have to have open offers and competing bids. Yeah, no, they would have to implement that as kind of a not compliance, but I would say a risk hedge in the case yeah. of you wouldn't want them to give the projects to like their buddies or their cronies if you were to set up an overseas shop. But because they want you to win, they give you the inside knowledge of what pain points to hit. 
Exactly, exactly. So definitely like of compliance. And this is probably some of the reasons why Japanese companies also got fined in a lot in the past because they had that long term relationship. And as a foreigner or in foreign standards, it just looks like corruption. So it's completely a different world. Some of my colleagues that I've seen in the past also knows the client so much that they know the right timing to casually ask for example, not exactly how much is their budget, but they would casually say like, okay, we're thinking about pitching and how much. I was amazed because they know when to say that and how to read the client's face. Of course, the client normally cannot say that, oh, that's a good number or, oh my goodness, you're so out of league. But if it's an experienced account salesperson, they know how to ask that and make sure that they get a good response. And an experienced one, they can ask the same question, but they may or may not get the correct information or correct insights from the client's reaction. So obviously, sometimes clients would say, oh, no comment. We can't answer that. Then, you know, you're sort of in a situation that you're dead. I, for me, it's a human skill. It's really an interesting art. No, now that you mention it, I think when I did go on some sales calls when I was at OneCoin, it was unrelated to OneCoin, but I remember the person I was with, they'll suddenly just ask like, is your budget around this much? They asked it in a way it was so sudden, unexpected. I think the person was caught off guard and you could kind of see like their reaction. They're like, yeah, it's like, okay, I think we're in the right place. I guess now that I reflect that and how you described it, I guess the timing was magical because we're able to get the answer we needed. And you would imagine, you know, like that's not something that somebody who's inexperienced, maybe the first time, you know, like going onto the client's call, that would probably not happen. So again, account chaos is really about relationship. And again, also probably with the client as well, the chemistry, because some clients really are uptight that they will not slip anything. But then on the other hand, if you have a good relationship and if you know the client well enough that, okay, if I ask in this timing, he will probably give us a good reaction enough that we can read how much and where we're at. So that's a good one. I think for account sales as well, like at least in a big corporation setting, wouldn't you have someone like I would say like SDRs or like sales development reps? I think their job is to really get qualified leads, right? Then yes. once they find someone who's qualified, they pass it on to someone higher, like, let's say, maybe like an account manager. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? And could you explain more about that? There are multiple ways, actually, to set up an organization. What you said is one way. Also, another way to do that is, for example, there could be an account rep so that any kind of discussion with a client, the account rep is supposed to have. And with large, large organizations, when you have an account rep, the account rep sometimes simply goes around within the organization, within the vice presidents or the executives and constantly, constantly make calls around that area so that he would know who's doing what also as well as who wants to do next what. So then when the account rep comes back and says, okay, feel like they generally have a trend in this direction or they're currently focused really on, for example, sustainability or they're really focused on making more products and enhancing their sales. Or sometimes it would be a topic about, no, right now they're in the red. They need to just cost, cost immediately. Because that account rep has the trend within the whole organization. 
and especially in Japanese companies, because we have a, a system called Ringi, which is about getting consensus in all of the companies in order to budget certain large funds or large projects. Then it would become a process where you really need to know what the interests are in who it will be involved in the Ringi. So that you would get the go sign, the everybody's approval in one chance, because you don't really want to keep on running the ringi over and over again. And you want to make sure that you have a very smooth ringi. You want to make sure that the ringi process runs smoothly. So then, in that case, having an account rep and making sure that account rep is constantly going around the company, making sure the trends, having good relationship with each of the executives、uh, really helps. And it would help make sure that also how much budget can go in the ringi. Sometimes there would be multiple layers of the approval process. So the more larger the budget becomes, the more people become involved. And the account rep would be able to tell you that, okay, In order to keep it in this budget, only a couple of people, or only it would become a smaller approval process, and we would have a little bit more control on the sales process as well. So that also can sometimes be one of the ways that you structure the organization. Again, route sales tend to become a place where people would have 30, 40 accounts that they need to manage, so they can't go in that deep in. The executive relationship. They would normally have a couple of people that they know that they can contact within the organization, but it's just about handling a lot of number of accounts and making sure that they get constant contact. So I think those are a couple of ways that you can frame the organization.、Um, but I know that again, there's more ways to do it. Yeah, really having an account manager,、uh, I guess, with the lingi, I'll say they know how to really get the information about. All the stakeholders and who, let's say, the decision makers, and really organizing the pitch to hit all these different angles, so you don't have that one person who just says no and it kills the whole sales process. Yeah, and also I think regarding recruitment, and we were just talking about people, so just to hit on that topic as well.、Uh, for me, I found it really important to ask the person what type of work that they like to do. In interviews in the past, I actually introduced them to this framework on the spot in the interview, and say, "Okay, if there's only two types of sales in this world, which one would you choose, and or which have you done in the past?" Because not necessarily everybody knows this framework, and that's okay. And also, this isn't the only framework, so he or she might come back and say. Oh, that's not the way that I normally frame sales. This is how I worked, and that's also fine. But then, a lot of times, people would say like, "Oh, I used to do route sales in your framework. I used to do a lot of account sales. I used to be the account manager of so and so company, and this is what I've sold, or this is how I would work." Once you hear those kind of stories, you would understand. Okay, where does this person fit in the organization? Or Also, even if it's a fresh person out of university and who has no work experience, still they would understand in the sense where, oh, would I want to go in really a deeper conversation within the company, or would I like to get new clients? Because route sales is all about getting new clients and approaching new people. Getting in the conversation, so oh, if he or she says like that sounds much more my type of thing that I want to do, 
then you would say maybe I feel great candidate for the, our route sales team, or he or she would become a good match for the account based sales activities because he or she likes to do it or has results. So that's also some of the things that I would say about recruitment as well. Have you ever found yourself having trouble creating a business plan? Do you pretty much operate on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, creating confusion and chaos in your organization? If that sounds like you, I recommend you join my Entrepreneur Bootcamp. In my bootcamp, you'll set an achievable but challenging revenue target for the current or following fiscal year, and we will create a business plan to make it a reality. See more in the show notes below. And now back to our episode. Uh, no, that's a very, very good point. When I ran recruitment, I think one of the key points was, uh, what is the job description? Exactly who are we looking for to fulfill this position? We're not looking to create a position for a person. We're looking for someone to fit the position that we're creating. So I really like how you tied in the route versus account-based sales framework into how it applies to recruitment as well. Because if I was a recruiter internally and they just said like, hire me a salesperson, like it would probably drive me crazy. So now I know it's like, if I were running recruitment, it's a, do you want a route-based salesperson or do you want an account-based salesperson? And so, yeah, if the company has that sales-based framework in line and clarity, that will definitely, definitely help the recruitment department. So we don't get poo-pooed on when the person doesn't work out and say, oh, recruitment, they can't find the right person. Like you said, a lot of the companies try to have people learn on the job. But like you said, again, if you're running a business, not necessarily have that luxury to train people up in the way that you want them to be trained and also have them do the right trial and errors. It maybe have some errors, which would cost you money. So you want to make sure that they would do trials and errors, but then make sure that you at least get the deal. So in that sense, I think it's quite important also for you to set your expectations. So then again, like you said, in the hiring process, if you don't have anybody who has that route sales experience, at least you would have that expectation again, saying like, okay, we couldn't find somebody who has specific experience on the route sales. We couldn't have somebody who has that good track record on route sales. You would have the next best person that seems to have good qualities and seem to be working in that direction. So you would be able to communicate and tell or ask and also collaborate in the way that you want them to be effective at their job. So hopefully that works. And then you would have to revisit them three months later and say like, oh, you're doing great, or we can probably do better. You have a basis on which to evaluate a person if you have a framework. I'm very passionate about the topic, but I actually think if you're a small business Mm -hmm. and you don't have frameworks for employees, I actually consider that pretty cruel. Mm. And uh, what I mean by that is if you're a startup, startups are by definition chaotic and startups by definition, they give employees stocks. But if you're not giving your employees stock, you're not giving them a great salary but you have no frameworks, I feel like you're actually cheating them out of maybe like years out of their life. Like they could have learned something so much faster if they were to go to another company. So there's a lot of small businesses who listen to this. When sometimes people don't accept me as a coach, like let's say their coach or advice, I actually get really pissed off because it's like, because of your ego, you let so many people like you're not taking away their future, but you're denying them a good opportunity in life. 
And that's why uh, I really want you to kind of like bring this framework because I think the people who are mainly going to use it is like probably small businesses. And small businesses is hard to, you can't pay like, you know, the corporation salaries. So in the future, when employees get a bit smarter, people are probably not going to choose the companies that don't have frameworks in place because when it gets real competitive for employees, people choose the places that will develop them. And that's actually something I'm doing lectures at universities, not lectures, but like just one-off seminars where I tell university students, ask them the company about their frameworks. If they don't have a framework in place, if you join the sales department, don't join that company. You're going to waste two years doing trial and error. And if you're talented, go somewhere else. Sorry for harping on listeners, but I've seen it happen so many times. I see so much wasted potential because of the owner's ego. It's not an SDG, but it's kind of like my personal social development goal is stop wasting people's time and like really, let's say, help people develop their career skills. I really like that conversation, actually. And I think this is one of the reasons why I would like to be on this podcast. <laughs> like, hopefully I can come <laughs> back again. But yeah, because again, it's really important. And especially with this whole pandemic and what we learned the most is about how precious time is. A lot of people say like, oh, that was a lost two years. But no, a lot of companies grew and a lot of people learned new skills and spent time with their family. And there's a lot of things that actually can happen in two years. People grow kids go on to their next grades. And I feel like wasting people's times or um, not helping them get the maximum out of their time is quite a very important topic. And I really do feel passionate about that topic too. I think there was another question about um, how to deal with common personality types or what you can do for a foreign company or do the same or different for Japan and et cetera like that. But I really feel like, again, like you said, framework discussion comes in in this direction as well if you can work with a person not with your ego and not with just your own experience or own bias then i think it's a really good way that you can help employees or help them grow as well as you can learn in the same time because they're implementing your framework or they're working on it and if it works or if it doesn't work or if the person wants to tweak it in a way then it's easier for you to understand what's going on. For example, the person who's doing route sales might say like, hey, I've been having really good hits in this area if I use these numbers, these statics, or if I do a little bit of research in this way and call them up after I know the insights of them, then this is where I can get some good sales. Then you can also learn like, oh, okay, this must be a trend in what's going on in this industry or in this area or even in Japan in general. So I think it's a really good way to think about or go about things. Yeah, thank you for that. And I do have one question for the end. I would love to have more female listeners, but mm -hmm. based on the statistics, most of my listeners are male, which is totally fine. So I'm going to phrase this question for that. But for the male business owners and sales managers listening to this podcast with female sales staff, do you have any tips or feedback maybe that could help them become a better manager or trainer for their female sales staff? I feel like it's a common discussion regarding uh, manager and staff dynamics. Again, managers always are chasing numbers or chasing business results, and they want their staff to work in a specific way that they want them to work. And sometimes that is not always clear. So hence the conflict or some of the struggles between both staff and manager. 
that they feel like they're not getting the results or they're not having their staff do what they want to do. And when it comes also additional dynamics with whether it's gender or other diversity discussions, I think it just becomes a little bit more complicated just because the baseline, especially in sales, is always a human relationship and it's always about human connections. There's never a way that we can go about it and say like, okay, taking out all the human aspects, taking out all the interactions, and here's how to do sales. That will never happen. You would always need a specific website that can look personal or relate to somebody in an emotional level and also have a salesperson maybe explain the solution or the product in a personal way, whether that's in a route sales manner or in an account more personal way. It's always about human relationships. So I think, again, working with um, women or working in a diverse organization, it's about knowing also your employees as well, knowing that person, whether she has experience in the sales field, what she views as her personal strength, or if she wants to be in a challenging position, if she wants to do something different in the sales way that sales method that she's always been doing or not to take chances at this moment if she has something more for example if she has a small child maybe she's not really willing to take additional challenges maybe she wants to do something that she feels comfortable and she knows that she'll get the results and again that's another conversation that you might want to have here with your employees but also i think regarding gender is that there's more to diversity and inclusion, which I'm also learning these days, depending on their experience. Obviously, this goes with men as well, is that sometimes they have more experience with, for example, other genders. So ask them if they have for example, brothers or sisters. And sometimes he or she would come back saying like, oh, I have three sisters or I had other cousins, all boys. So I would be out in the field playing baseball all the time. Because of the privacy issues, of course, you may or may not be able to have all these conversations, but then you would understand that personality saying like, okay, he or she probably would work better in for example, in a much more sporty organization, there are sometimes organizations, especially in Japan, who own baseball teams or, uh, for example, my company owns a rugby team so or an American football team. So sometimes they would snatch on or latch on to have that personal connection in that area. Other times they would be in another area. So sometimes there's more to the gender. There's more to the personality. So I would definitely, especially when it comes to sales, again, goes back to that discussion. It's always about human connections, always about human relationship that makes the final deal. So get to know your employees and then hopefully you would have a good future with a lot of deals. Rather than relying on, let's say, heuristics, the solid waterproof method is really understand your the person. Diversity and inclusion is a big topic. Just really understanding the person themselves will help you come up with how to adjust around them or, let's say, putting them in the right position. For the listeners who does want some cookie-cutter generic advice, I used to manage, I would say, probably majority of my employees were female, the managers. When I had promotion talks, like where it was to jump a level in position, I actually had to interview female candidates multiple times, like internally. So they were a manager, but they wanted to go to maybe an area manager position. I had to interview them multiple times, and not because that was the process. It was they would undersell themselves. 
And it's like, I know you're you're way better than how you presented yourself. Like the way you present yourself, I'm definitely not giving you a promotion. But because I know you, go think about this, do this homework, and freaking sell yourself as how good you are, because I know how good you are. Don't ever come to another interview meeting with me and pull this crap again. You wasted my time. I had to do chew them out because like I just knew how good they were, how dedicated a lot of the female managers were to the company and how such a disservice they did to themselves. And on the other hand, when it was the lot of the male candidates, they would oversell themselves. Like they had this cognitive gap. They would come to me like they're a top 20 performer. I'm like, actually, uh, I hate to break it to you, but (laughs) you're actually a three out of 10. And the way you're pitching yourself, it's a seven out of 10. And a key point for this next level position is self-awareness. You thinking that you're a seven or eight in skill shows that you have a cognitive gap and that you're not going to grow. I'm going to interview again six months later, one year later. Don't give me this. I'm a seven out of 10 crap. But because you think you're a seven out of 10, your boss wants to avoid fights. He doesn't give you the feedback. So stop being so arrogant. I like you a lot. You have a lot of passion, a lot of potential, but you waste a lot of time because of your ego. It is cookie cutter advice, but I've seen it happen so many times that sometimes when I get female staff who want to go for a promotion, I actually just tell them like, this is exactly what you should say. (laughs) Like, don't try to manage my emotions. Don't try to be a good listener. This is what you need to say. This is what I want to hear. That's actually fantastic advice. And I think it's much more powerful because you were in that position about promoting women and promoting them. And you see the clear difference. Um, I think there's actually statics about that specific issue. So, um, but on the other hand, it's very common and I think very solid advice in my opinion. I think, again, a lot of the first-time managers, for example, they don't know that. So it's a very important advice to, or also a tip to notice that even when it's the first time that you're talking with your female employees, you know, get to know them beforehand, because if you're just having that one shot, 30 minute discussion about your promotion or their raise, it will happen if you don't have that awareness about how they may be under representing themselves, how they may be doing disservice to themselves. You will get caught up in that view. And you would say like, oh, I don't have any good female candidates within my organization, which is the common discussion that you we have said, these yeah. days. <laughs> it drove me crazy. In my case, I was lucky because the company was growing so quickly that I managed them at the lower level. So when I had to go to the higher level and find someone, like I already knew them very intimately. Yeah. And it would drive me crazy. I'm like, who is this person coming for this interview? Like, God damn, you're so competent, but you're pretty much telling me I shouldn't hire you. Mm. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. And yeah, I think we could definitely have another discussion like on, let's say, navigating an organization or management topics as well. Thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. And definitely I'm looking for future discussions. I feel like we can talk so much more. (laughs) 